this week on Moms Moving On. You're going to have the bumps in the road with your co-parent because there was something that caused you guys to be co-parents as, as opposed to being together. So there are differences and they get amplified. And when there's difficult issues, cultural issues, political issues that you guys don't see eye to eye on, that gets amplified when you're in the co-parenting relationship. And sometimes, unfortunately, that those cultural and political views are utilized to vilify the other parent. And that's something that I've also seen a massive trend in. Life moves on, so why shouldn't we? This is Michelle Dempsey-Moltak, your host of Moms Moving On, navigating divorce, co-parenting, single motherhood, and moving on. Welcome back to another Moms Moving On, everyone. I have a friend from the West Coast on with us today, Patrick Bagdasarians, who is a certified family law specialist and managing partner of Bagdasarians Law Group. And he's got so much experience in the world of family law. But today I really want to narrow it down because even though we may be sort of outside the window of COVID affecting our lives on a day-to-day basis, it still has residual effects in the co-parenting world. Patrick, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much, Michelle, for your time. Uh, I really appreciate being here. Um, I've been following you on Instagram. I'm a big fan of your work. I think you're doing a fantastic job helping co-parents move on, move forward with their lives. Because, you know, both of us having been in this industry for a while, me almost 15 years now, co-parents, they need all the help they can get, whether it's from their lawyers, counselors, family members, or coaches like you. And I think it's it's great work uh, and I appreciate it. And we thank you for your uh, work in the, area. Thank you. And I love that you have now been recognized both on the front of the LA Times and on CNN and all over the place for the work that you've done in helping co-parents navigate COVID-related issues. Because I think, you know, the married people took for granted, like you were just in the same house, you didn't have to worry about it. But when you have kids with somebody who lives somewhere else, who may have been a frontline worker and still wanted to see their children, there were so many issues that came up. Can you speak to some of what you dealt with? So absolutely. So first of all, I mean, COVID had obviously impacted all of our lives differently, right? But I think what it really, it made a huge impact in the family law realm. First off, when you had individuals who already had uh, issues uh, in their marriage mm-hmm. or their relationship and they were sharing a child, and now they were forced to uh, be together almost 24 hours a day under the same roof, sometimes in the same room working. And those differences were uh, amplified and I believe led to a lot of uh, divorces and also led to, unfortunately, a lot of domestic violence yes, issues. huge rise so, in domestic violence. Huge. Huge. And uh, it was very unfortunate, but I I dealt with several the first year of COVID lockdowns. I mean, I did, I think, well over 20 or 25 evidentiary hearing, multi-day evidentiary hearings involving domestic violence allegations, most of which sprung up during uh, that first initial year of lockdown. I believe in May of 2021, I did a 12-day trial on this issue uh, on one singular case for domestic violence. So it had a huge impact. But then when you move forward and the vaccination issue popped up, then you had the vaccination issue. And that was a completely... Uh, new area, really, because we never really had this issue. You know, when I first started practicing law in 2007, vaccination was, you know, 
not even a litigated issue for most of the time. I mean, occasionally, once in a while, you would get your outlier case where a parent did, you know, was opposed to certain vaccinations at certain stages. But most judicial officers would say, we're deferring to the pediatrician. If the pediatrician wants to opine that the minor child should get a vaccination at a certain period of time, then they do it. And the court would defer to that. But then when you had the COVID vaccination issue, you had even some judicial officers that didn't want to stick their foot into that. No, you know, they didn't want to be any a part of that. No. And, and this I had yeah. yeah, no, it just became amongst my clients and followers and my co-parenting friends. It was like, it's the Wild West with this thing, because there are no Absolutely. rules for this. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I have a lot of colleagues who are on the bench in Los Angeles County uh, who are judicial officers. You're very, very experienced judicial officers. And they would tell me off the record, obviously not about any particular case, that they don't want to get involved in this. They don't want to be the arbiter about whether or not a child takes a vaccine or not, at, especially at the early stages. And they were quite often ref, uh, deferring, again, to the pediatrician. But then initially at the at the onset, you had pediatricians that would not even agree to uh, on the vaccination issues. So it was a very difficult issue. But obviously, as time went on and there was more data about the vaccination, I think judicial officers became more and more comfortable. And in 2021, towards the end of 2021, I was advocating uh, for several families to get a court order to vaccinate their child. And I was successful. Uh, and I think the courts became more comfortable as the data became more readily available mm -hmm. to them. And um, that was uh, that was an issue that I think um, was changing over the course of 2020 and 2021. Um, one particular case I had, which was um, actually picked up by the LA Times and then subsequently picked up by, the, by CNN, was a situation where we had a very immunocompromised child. And uh, the mother was very, very uh, pro-vaccine. Father was very, very anti-vaccine. I mean, his social media posts were very, um, how should I put this nicely, controversial uh -huh. at certain stages. Right. <laughs> and, and um, you know, the, the, the two parents could not be more different when it came to the, that particular cultural issue and their view of the vaccine and COVID in general. And unfortunately, we had this very immunocompromised child who um, had very slew of health issues. And the father was opposed to having the minor child vaccinated. And this is towards the end of 2021. And the mother really, really wanted to. All the doctors that were helping support this child through uh, his various health issues were on board and were pro-vaccination. Subsequently, the court, Los Angeles Superior Court Judge, Judge Silverman, subsequently ruled in our favor. The minor child was vaccinated, but we took it even a step further. We argued that given the, the state of the minor child and the immunocompromised stage of the minor child, that if the parents wanted to be around um, the child, unfeathered, meaning no masks, uh, nothing, um, no, no protective features, then they needed to be vaccinated as well. Mm. And this was really something that hadn't been addressed before in the courts. And we were successful in getting a court order that if the minor child was going to be around any particular parent, unfeathered, no masks, no protective gear, then that parent needed to be vaccinated. And if they were not going to be vaccinated, they needed to present a, a letter written by their doctor articulating why the vaccination uh, was not appropriate for that parent. Wow. Now, I don't want to get into uh, I don't want to get into why why specifically what happened as a result of this, because I think, you know, I don't want to divulge any 
personal issues that may, yeah. yeah that may be personal but bottom line is we were able to obtain the court orders and the court orders in my opinion were in the best interest of the minor child and that's really what it comes down to right it really comes down to are we doing things that are in the best interest of the minor child or are we just placating our clients and i believe at the time and i still believe that my actions were in the best interest of the child and to protect the child from uh the you know the various health issues that he was experiencing experiencing. But I think really, once I started, you know, obviously, that case got a lot of press. Yeah. And I I got a lot of mail from both sides of the spectrum. I can't I imagine. People, you know, and, and it would have gone underground. Yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, we got over six or 700 comments on our Facebook page. Um, some likes, some were not likes. Right. <laughs> some, some were very nice, some were not very nice. But look, this is the thing. I, I'm not necessarily saying that this was my partic uh, particular political view or not. It's not the issue. It was irrelevant what I was, because you're a good attorney. Exactly. Right. Like, I mean, the bottom line is I was advocating for my, what my client believed was correct. We had a factual basis for it, and I relied on the medical professionals that were treating the minor child. And I believe that the court also relied on that and made it a, a court order that was, in fact, in the best interest of the minor child. And people were arguing, you know, privacy rights, constitutional rights of the parents. I go, look, the court quite often in family court, especially in Los Angeles County, makes court orders that infringe on the uh, constitutional rights or the privacy rights of a parent. But that's the price you pay when you go to court and you want to litigate uh, issues and you want the court to be responsible for making court orders. You run the risk yeah. of your liberties uh, restricted to a certain degree. That's why I always tell parents, you're better off mediating issues like this. You're better off seeking uh, the help of a third party, a parenting plan coordinator, a, a, a divorce coach, or somebody along those lines. Because once you go to court, the judicial officer, to a certain degree, has very, very wide discretion. And you may not be happy with the result. And those results may infringe on your rights. And that happens quite often. Yep, it definitely does. I want to bring up some other issues that have come up for my clients because, you know, I thankfully develop lovely relationships with my clients and I see them through a very hard time in their life and we stay in touch, right? Or, or they just continue retaining me. Back in 2020, because everything was exposed, you know, in, in the home and people started splitting up, a lot of people didn't have the means to go find a new apartment. So people were splitting up and staying in the same homes. Eventually these people started, you know, moving apart physically. And then the, then there was all this gray area with the kids. We were both in the same house. We didn't really have any structured parenting plan. I got to see my child every day. Oh, well, I got to see my child every day. Well, I still want to see my child every day. And everything just became a hot mess. And I saw this like explosion back in like middle 2021, where people just could not figure out how to function. Like, pre-COVID people, you know, in, in this new reality of divorce. Did you see the same thing? Absolutely. I see. I think in 2020, when there was there was a period of time, I believe it started in uh, late March 2020, up until maybe June, for a two, three-month period, all cases in LA County courts were pushed were kicked, were continued mm -hmm. for months and months. You had, a, a, because we didn't know what was happening. 
We didn't know if we would be able to go to court. And um, the, the systems that are in place now that allow for remote, remote court appearances, like in Los Angeles County, we have this thing called LA Court Connect. Mm -hmm. This allows you to connect uh, for, um, it's essentially similar to Zoom, but you're allowed to make your court appearances you know, sitting on your couch at your house. Um, so you don't necessarily have to go to court. But when the pandemic started, we didn't have that technology. We had the ability maybe to call in, mm -hmm. but to be on a telephone, but you couldn't see the judicial officer. The judicial officer couldn't see you. And frankly, the court call system, uh, you had to get approval for it. You had to get a court order. It was a disaster. Right. Now, it's your, uh, as Bobby Brown says, it's your prerogative. You want to make, <laughs> you want to make that court appearance in person. You make it in person. You want to make it via LA Court Connect. You make it via LA Court Connect. And so we have adapted as a, a legal community in Los Angeles that I think has really, really benefited uh, litigants. And we've provided the resources that allow people to make court appearances uh, in a safe environment if they don't necessarily want to go to downtown LA or one of the branch courts. But then the issue that you're specifically talking about, I think I kind of went off on That's tangent. Okay. I apologize. For Shout out to the um, LA court system for figuring it all out. Yeah. yeah. I think at the time we had a presiding judge, Judge Riff, fantastic guy. He really took it all on his shoulders and he did really, really good work as a presiding judge and got us past those initial few months. But as far as parents living together, I mean, look, we've had that issue at, um, throughout you know, my career, where you had parents at the onset of a divorce who were still living together for financial reasons, right? And or were waiting uh, to go to court to get a court order regarding spousal support and child support. And that period of time when they're living together is probably the worst period of time yeah. for not only their relationship as potential co-parents, but the negative impact the it has children. on kids. Oh. It's I know it's it's really really bad. I mean, I had a case that I took over recently about about a year ago, and at the time I took over this case, the divorce had started during COVID, and uh, I believe around June or July of 2020, right in the midst of COVID, and there was a court order that the parents would share custody, but the parents were living together, so there was specific periods of time where the father could use the kitchen and the mother could not use the oh my kitchen. God. How do you enforce that? Right. I mean, I mean, think about the animosity. Think about the fuel to the fire that creates. You're in the kitchen, and your spouse wants to come and get a you know a bottle of water from the fridge, but they can't because pursuant to a court order, that's not their period of time that they could cross that threshold and get in there. It's it's just absurd. Right. It's absurd. So what I tell people when they're living together is, they need to make a decision. I mean, look, if they're at a point where they're getting a divorce or they're filing for a paternity action, their relationship has probably broken down. Mm -hmm. OK, because that's a very that's a significant step. And if your relationship has broken down to that point where you're taking that step to engage and to engage judicial intervention, really, you have to make a decision. Do I remain living in the same house? Sometimes you have no choice. Right. Financially speaking, you have to wait to go to court. So, so you have to wait. So you can go to court and get temporary court orders regarding spousal support and child support to help you move out. But if you do have the financial means or you can obtain the financial means by way of uh, borrowing funds or utilizing a credit card or using cash resources, it's something that should always be done because that initial period of time living together is just pure disaster. Chaos. And sometimes it, it tends to acts of domestic violence. 
Hi moms, if you're looking to sell your engagement jewelry, Worthy is the perfect option. With over 45,000 satisfied customers, Worthy is the most trusted name in the business. Would I bring you anything less? Worthy offers competitive auctions and gets you the best deal possible on your jewelry. Plus, I've connected with Worthy on a special bonus offer for the Moms Moving On community, a $100 Amazon gift card when your jewelry sells for over $1,500. Ready to move on from that engagement ring? Get started today at worthy.com moms. That's worthy.com moms for the special bonus offer. It's here. Oh my God, I can't believe it. My book is officially out in the world. Have you ordered it yet? It's called Moms Moving On, Real Life Advice on Conquering Divorce, Co-Parenting Through Conflict, and Becoming Your Best Self. Moms Moving On is filled with practical, actionable, and empowering advice from someone who's been through it and comes out the other side, me. Through inspirational stories, rituals, journal prompts, and my guidance, you'll learn how to navigate your divorce with confidence, adjust to life as a single mom, shift your perspective to find your way back to your best self, and create the life you truly deserve. So order it now. What are you waiting for? I have a client in New York. Bless her heart. She's been separated since the summer of 2020. They are still in the same home. I mean, going in circles. For some reason, the court will not order this person to leave. Completely disruptive, abusive, everything you can think of. And I just think, what level of hell for these three little girls that that she is raising? I mean, it is unfathomable. So why in that case, maybe you can explain why a, 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 the court wouldn't rush to change the situation for a family. Um, I'll tell you that happens quite often. The judicial, uh, a court cannot issue, generally speaking, cannot and will not issue uh, a quote unquote kickout order unless there's a, um, a act of domestic violence, unless there's the issuance of a restraining order. Got it. Because from the court's perspective, both parents have a legal right to be in that residence. And they don't want, they're usually, the, the legal basis simply does not exist at that juncture to kick one person out over the other. It's so hard. It's it's unfortunate. But if that person, like for example, if that was my client and they're truly getting exposed to acts of domestic violence, and here in California, the the term abuse for domestic violence is, is broadly defined. It not only includes, obviously, physical violence, uh, acts that cause someone to be in reasonable apprehension and, and for fear and safety of their lives, but also acts that disturb their peace. That, their mental health. Okay, their but like, how do you quantify that? Because this is what the majority of people are really dealing with. And it's so, so hard to say, like, he disrupted my peace because he came into my room again and made a mess of things, you know? You know, that is a little bit more difficult situation. Obviously, what it falls, uh, what it comes down to is the credibility of the witness to come into court and testify, because that is purely a he said, she said type of case. Yeah. And it really comes down to the, a the demeanor of the judicial officer, how that judicial officer views uh, certain acts of domestic violence and whether or not there's evidence of, of acts of domestic violence. So let me give you an example. In California, we have an excep uh, exception to secret recordings. Right. Prior to, I believe, in 2020, um, you were not allowed to secretly record another person in the state of California. Um, that was against the law. 
the penal code forbid that. Now we have an exception after 2020 that allows for a victim of domestic violence to secretly record the perpetrator if it's in the anticipation of utilizing really? that secret recording in, uh, in obtaining a restraining order. And that is something that I have seen explode over the last several years in my domestic violence cases. Wow. And and that's what kind of eliminates the he said, she said, because if you have a spouse that comes into your room in the middle of the night to anger you, to really disturb your peace, opens, you know, turns on the lights at 4 a.m. in the morning. And I've had a similar case comes into the room in the middle of the night, 4 a.m. in the morning, opens the door, starts yelling at her, calls you X, Y and Z, mm -hmm. horrible names, and then closes the door and leaves. How do you it's going to be difficult to describe to a judge because a judicial office is going to be sitting back and going. Really? That that sounds that crazy. That sounds crazy, you right? Know, you know what? People engage in crazy conduct when they're living together under the same house when they shouldn't be. Yeah. And and one way that people are now addressing that is through secret recordings. Now, obviously, they have to be very careful when, before they engage in these secret recordings. They have to ensure that they comply with the law, the legal requirements. So it's always beneficial to speak to a lawyer to go over what actually constitutes a legal secret recording yes. in the state of California. And, and also, if you're just yeah. tuning in, we're talking about secret recordings being legal in the state of California. They may not be legal in the state that you're in. So just make sure Absolutely. you're mindful of that. Absolutely. And always speak to a lawyer before you're going to engage in something like this. Because again, prior to 2020 in California, uh, a lot of these secret recordings were not legal. So uh, the legislature recognized a need to make an exception, and they created that exception to help victims of domestic violence. I'm very proud of the legislature and the laws that have evolved in California over the, over the course of my career th that address specifically domestic violence. The legislature saw a need over the past decade to improve on the laws. They've added provisions in the law uh, that address coercive control, mm. right? This is something that wasn't necessarily in the law specifically. Now, case law talked about it, but it wasn't specifically mentioned in the uh, statutes. Now we have that. That's a development that's happened over the last few years. And then that's one example. The second example would be the secret recording to uh, of, of uh, victims to be able to record the perpetrator for the purposes of utilizing that secret recording in a subsequent court appearance. Yeah. So- I, I mean, I think we should all just move to California if we want to get divorced. But anyway, I digress. Let's talk about some of the things that I see that have still been an issue. I want to know how the court sees them because, yes, we are outside of this window of have mandated mask wearing and things being shut down. But I will still run into issues that clients are having where, you know, my ex isn't wearing a mask. They're new partner isn't wearing a mask and they're taking the kids all over the place without masks. What can you say to that when these types of measures are not being, um, they're, they're not mandated anymore? And is this just a parent who wants a little bit more control or can we take I, it seriously? I'll, I'll tell you this, unfortunately, uh, uh, you know, over the last two years, I've seen several cases several of my own cases having uh, dealt with this, this particular issue, which is, hey, that parent doesn't take the ma uh, mask mandate seriously. And what I've seen is judicial officers don't want to get involved. Mm -hmm. That's too in the nitty gritty. They stay away from it. Mm -hmm. I've never seen a judicial officer make an adverse ruling against another parent 
because there was evidence that that parent wasn't masked at a particular instant or the child wasn't. So the courts, look, this is the reality. Judicial officers, and you know this, the work you've done, they don't want to get too involved in people's lives. Most, most judicial. Now, obviously, there are the outliers that want to really get in, get in there and do every little micromanaging. But most judicial officers, especially in L.A., where most of my cases are, they don't want to get involved in, well, who was wearing a mask at what time? Were you indoors? Were you outdoors? They don't want to get involved in that. And they don't want to render orders that are based on that because how are you going to enforce something like that? I know. Are you going to pull some are you going to pull somebody in, into court uh, over an OSC, which is an order to show cause for contempt because they didn't comply with a mask mandate because they were standing uh, outside, but it was under a pergola. So is that really outdoors or is that indoors? I'm you with know? you. I mean, I'm just, just, I'm just giving you the hypothetical because I hear this yeah. all the time. And, you know, for me, where the work that I do is really helping a mom recognize where to give up control and, and yeah. where it's going to be beneficial for her and, and her children and her relationship with her co-parent to take a step back and just say, you know what? They're on your parenting time. I trust you to make the decisions you need to make. But it's very hard for some people. And I think COVID and these excessive rules that we had for some time gave individuals, high conflict individuals, an opportunity to continue that coercive control. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. I, I had, I have one client. She's so sweet. She's always sending pictures to her ex and I, I tell her, stop doing it. They'll, she'll be somewhere with the kids and she'll send a photo to dad to try and be nice and Right away, it's why aren't they wearing a mask? There's too many people there. You know, are, are is that person vaccinated? And and it's you're just opening yourself up for more drama. Absolutely, I think what you said is very important. That at a certain point, co-parents need to realize everything cannot be controlled. They're never going to 100, in my opinion, be on the same page on every issue. Because if they were going to be on the same page on every single issue, guess what? They probably would still be together. Exactly. Right. Exactly. You know, I, I tell my all wife time. all the time. I mean, I've been married for over a decade now. Fortunately, knock on wood. But <laughs> you know, it takes two to tango, right? Yeah. So, and in a parenting relationship, and you're going to have the bumps in the road with your co-parent because there was something that caused you guys to be co-parents as as opposed to being together. Mm-hmm. So there are differences and they get amplified. And when there's difficult issues, cultural issues, political issues that you guys don't see eye to eye on, that gets amplified when you're in the co-parenting relationship. And sometimes, unfortunately, that those cultural and political views are utilized to vilify the other parent. And that's something that I've also seen a massive trend in. I see it a lot. And I see it, you know, I, I work with a lot of clients who hire me to do a, basically a review of their parenting plan with them to see if they've missed anything or where they could tighten things up. And more often than not, I'm saying, no, 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 no. We can't, we can't put these excessive restrictions on the other parent, because people forget that it goes both ways, you know, and absolutely, and it just becomes you get so tied into what you want, and you forget what matters for the children. And anyway, I mean, this is the work that we do, right? Uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, you see that more and more. And it's I think it, I've seen a huge trend in people who are highly educated, actually, uh, people who are very powerful individuals in their own industry, whether it's the legal industry, uh, whether they're college professors, or whether they're titans of industry. Celebrity and, and clients, represent- those are the ones. 
Yeah, I, those are, uh, unfortunately, we we have quite a few of those here in mm -hmm. Los Angeles. I have two offices in Pasadena and Beverly Hills. And our West LA office, which is Beverly Hills, we have, uh, we come across a lot of people in the entertainment industry. And these are people who normally uh, never hear no, or this is not possible. They're, it's always, they're surrounded by yes men or yes women, right? right? And when somebody tells them no, uh, whether it's a judicial officer or a co-parent, sometimes they don't know how to react and they lash out. And unfortunately, the person that suffers the most is the child. Yeah. And people lose perspective of that. Yeah. When they're engaging in their cultural debate, when they're engaging in their political debates, you're wrong because you don't believe this. You're wrong because you believe this. They don't understand the impact that that's having on the child because the child loves both parents most of the time, right? And doesn't want to see one parent vilified or made fun of or, or um, their integrity question or their intelligent question. Right. These are issues that all come up and it impacts the child and, and people lose sight of that. Yeah. And I think that's why people like you exist to to help refocus people, to get them uh, to get their priorities aligned with what is the most important thing, the best interest of the minor child. Yeah. And that's the most paramount thing. And people lose sight of that. Well, and you're doing important work too. COVID made a mess of, you know, the divorce industry for a little bit. And and how we really made those important decisions for children. But clearly you're doing something right. Patrick, where can our listeners learn more about you? So uh, our website, it's uh, baglawgroup.com. And we have uh, articles there that we've written about various areas of family law. Because family law inc includes in the state of California divorce. Mm -hmm. And it also includes issues of uh, children had out of wedlock, right? So paternity actions, mm -hmm. child custody issues, mm -hmm. child support issues. Uh, I mean, we've handled this case, pretty much any type of case you can think of to the, from the smallest estate to estates worth well over $100 million. So, I mean, we've we've handled the entire gambit and we've had a lot of experience. We handle, you know, obviously financial issues, custody issues, move away issues. We've handled them all. So you can go to our website, which is baglawgroup.com. And it, it, then it can lead us to, uh, it can lead you to our various platforms on social media, where we also provide some helpful information for individuals going through divorce or, or custody issues with their co-parent. And I will of course, link all of this. Patrick, any parting words of wisdom for our listeners today? I think uh, what I would say, you know, having had hundreds of cases of uh, dealing with custody issues uh, over the course of my career, if not maybe even over a thousand, uh, parents need to always focus on the best interests as opposed to quote unquote winning. Ah. People get caught. Yeah. People get caught up in I won, she lost, she won, I lost. That's no one wins or loses in family court. All right. What really happens is do you get a court order that serves the best interests of the family? Mm -hmm. And that's what the focus should be. That's what the focus should be. I mean, I'm preaching it. You hear me. Yeah. Over and over, loud and clear. <laughs> I'm with you on that. Amen. That is a great place to end. You heard it here, ladies and gentlemen. Focus on what's best for the kids. There is no winning in co-parenting. There is no principle in co-parenting. There is no fair for you. It's what's best for the children. Patrick, you are a gem. The people of California are very lucky to have you. Everybody listening, thank you so much for being here. We'll see you next time on Moms Moving On. 
Imagine a place to get all of the resources you need and deserve while going through the divorce process, from legal and mediation tips to expert co-parenting advice and heartbreak healing words of wisdom. Imagine a place that offered weekly words of wisdom and inspiration curated just for you by me to help motivate you and make you feel seen throughout the toughest days of your divorce journey. Imagine if that place also provided you with the opportunity to connect with other moms who are going through the exact same thing as you. That place exists and it's called the Moms Moving On membership community. With two membership options, you are guaranteed to find your village and thrive in this next phase of your life. Visit my website, momsmovingon.com and click on become a member to join our community now. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Moms Moving On. I hope you found today's episode to be helpful, inspiring, and give you the advice you need to feel empowered and strong as you move on. Don't forget to come say hi on Instagram at the Michelle Dempsey and drop us a line if there's a specific topic or subject you'd like us to discuss. Thanks. Stay strong. 